0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's so good to see you. Welcome to Providence Church. My name is Jacob Armstrong, I'm one of the pastors here. Special welcome to those of you who are joining us right now online. We're so glad that you have uh, joined us in that way. And this Thursday night is our baptism night here, uh, 6.30 p.m. It's going to be a night of worship. Uh, We have a number of folks that are signed up to uh, baptize us. I just want to ask you uh, for a few things as we prepare for that evening. One is that you would help us as the church to prepare spiritually uh, for that night. It's kind of a night where um, different things have happened in the past, but God just always seems to move. And so I'm asking you to be praying for Thursday night. And even uh, I would really like to invite all of you to come on Thursday night. Um, If you uh, don't have a connection with anyone being baptized or anything, if you have a connection to this church, um, I'd love for you to come. Our vision here is to see people who feel disconnected from God find Jesus. And so it's a night that we celebrate that. And just your presence here, your praying presence, uh, I believe would be very important. So if you'll get out your phone and put 630 Thursday night, uh, I'd love for as many of you to, that can come uh, to come. And the second thing is, or the third or the fourth, I don't know, I lost count on what I was asking. But uh, another, another thing that I'm going to ask uh, is if you know that that night is for you, that you would uh, respond in obedience to God's call. And so uh, there's no uh, coercion or anything like that. I just kind of, having done this for a while, it's like, you know, uh, when you see that video or see this slide, you're like, that's me. God's been talking to me uh, this year. God's been calling to me. And, And you might know... If if this is a time for you to say yes, and that's what Thursday night is about about saying yes to Jesus. So if you've never been baptized, uh, you can sign up at prob.church church sign up, uh, or there'll be ways at the end of this service that you can that you can sign up. Or if you're at a place where you're like, I need to recommit my life. Usually we have a bunch of people who are just saying, I need to say yes. I need a marker in my life because of. What I've gone through, where I believe God has taken me. And so on that night, even if you've been baptized, you can recommit your life in a way and sort of remember your baptism. Uh, we do that by sprinkling on your head or by going under the water. And we'll explain all that. But just be, just be paying attention uh, this week and even this morning if God is, is calling out to you. This year, 2022, we've been studying the book of John, uh, which is the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And for maybe 10 months or so, we've been walking through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we have two two weeks left, okay, two weeks left. And so you might imagine that what we're going to talk about this week and next week are really important. And this week we're in John chapter 19, and I'm going to read to you the scripture about Jesus' conviction, um, crucifixion, death, and burial and I don't usually do this, I usually sort of think, you know, what are, the, what are the key verses we need to hear? I'm going to read to you all of it, okay? And it's going to take about five minutes. But there's really nothing that can be skipped over, okay? So I'm ceding some of my sermon time to this scripture reading, okay? You see what I'm doing? I'm giving up, so you can give up as you listen. As you hear it, you'll realize, you'll realize how important it is. John chapter 19, beginning with verse one. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered what I've written. I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In ancient Rome, when a military commander won a very important victory in the service of the empire, they would call it a triumph. Now, a triumph was rare. It was not awarded hastily. It actually required the entire vote of the Roman Senate to name it. Most Romans would never see a triumph in their day, but they heard about these events, and they heard about what would happen in these extraordinary circumstances when a military commander would be lifted up and the empire would celebrate. The triumph was most notable for what was called the via Triumphalis, which just means the walk of triumph or the way of triumph. It, re- it referred to when this military general would enter into Roman gates uh, to Rome's gates and everyone would celebrate. Now, I learned of some of these details from one of my favorite pastors named John Ortberg. And he referenced a Harvard historian named Mary Beard, who was sort of the notable expert on this era of Roman uh, history. And she spoke most notably about the triumph of Pompey, Pompey the Great. And the reason I'm telling you about it this morning is because this triumph took place just before Jesus lived and died. And so here's what happened in the triumph of Pompey the Great. Pompey entered the city in his Via Triumphalis, and he was clothed in a scarlet toga, a purple robe. Uh, a crown was put upon his head. It was a laurel crown, so a crown of flowers. And in this moment, the triumphant uh, commander looked as much like the king or the emperor as anyone ever would. In fact, he was almost uh, godlike. He looked almost divine in this moment. He rode in a chariot driven by four horses, and in front of the chariot would be prisoners of war, people that the commander had captured, you know, the famous prisoners that everyone wanted to see. They would actually be marching in front of the triumphant commander, and as they entered the city gates, sometime after that, they would be executed publicly to show the power of this man. Music was played, art was created, paintings were displayed, all of the triumphant uh, general. And when Pompey entered the city, he was taken right to the middle of the city to the Temple of Jupiter to show Pompey's godlike status. I have one of the most famous paintings of Pompey's triumph. It's kind of hard to see, but you can see him there seated in that uh, sort of scarlet robe. And he actually, in his triumph, he decided to have four elephants take him in to show his great power. But when he reached the city gates there, the elephants could not fit. So he had to dismount and get on the uh, more... uh, uh, you know, normal chariot with four horses. During a triumph parade, right behind the general, either in the chariot or walking behind him, was a slave or the lowest class of person. And the job of that slave was to whisper in the ear of the general every once in a while this phrase, memento mori, memento mori. It's a Latin phrase that means remember you are mortal. Remember you will die too. And so as glorious as this moment was, as gratifying it would have been for the commander, you know, as high as he was being lifted up, there was somebody behind him saying, hey, remember you're dust and you're going to die one day too. So my, my, one of my favorite pastors, John Ortberg, he uh, was wondering, what if we did that today? You know, what if behind CEOs leather chairs every once in a while there's just some dude who's like, hey, remember, you're going to die one day. Or, um, you know, at an inauguration, what if there was a few moments where someone just reminded them, hey, you're just a man. Or an athlete signs this $300 million contract. Maybe just every once in a while somebody could come behind him or her and say, hey, remember, you're dust. You're just a man. You're just a woman. Pompey's greatest triumph happened in the year 61 B.C., It's really historically close to Jesus' time. To understand what happened there gives us a lot of insight into what would have been happening in Jesus' day. 61 B.C., he had this great triumph, the one with the elephants. Two years later, he became an ally with Julius Caesar and actually married Caesar's daughter, about as good as it could get in those days. A year after that, he was given the the oversight of one of the greatest provinces of the greatest empire, the Roman Empire, what what is now present day Spain. And then a couple years after that, Pompeii began building what became one of the greatest architectural marvels of that day and still people look upon, what's called the Theater of Pompeii. It has a 10,000 seat arena where people would come, a temple to the god Venus and Pompey's house for he and his wife, Julius Caesar's daughter. Three years after that, there was great political divide in the Roman Empire. And on one side was Caesar and on the other side was Pompey. Pompey was assassinated and his head was brought to Julius Caesar, memento mori. When Jesus was crucified in the same age, he made a much different walk than the Via Triumphalus, though there are some similarities. Jesus' walk was called the Via Dolorosa, which means the way of sorrows or the way of suffering. Jesus had a crown, but not made of flowers, but of thorns that pierced his brow. Jesus was given a scarlet robe, but it was a robe to ridicule him. Jesus was a mock triumphant commander. They were making a spectacle of him. And crowds lined the street, and they did not hurl garlands upon him. They hurled insults. They did not cheer his name. They shouted, crucify. Jesus was not ridden in a chariot drawn by four horses. He was made to carry his very own cross until he was too weak to stand. He is not taken to the center of the city, to the temple, but was made to walk out of the city gates to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. In Pompey's triumph, his enemies die at the end. For Jesus, he dies so his enemies can live. And we wonder, don't we? How did he do it? How did you do it, Jesus? How did you walk the Via Dolorosa? How did you walk the way of suffering and carry your own claw, carry your own cross? endure beatings and, and slapped across the face and take nails into your hands and feet? and How did you endure the cross? How did you hang there? And how did you still speak? It is, of course, I believe, because Jesus had a different voice in his ear and in his heart. There was no slave walking behind Jesus saying, remember, you are mortal. <laughs> Instead, Jesus heard something different, I believe. I wonder if he remembered a random day in a river a few, days, a few years before, before Jesus was known far and wide, before they were executing rabbis, <laughs> Jesus was baptized by his cousin in the Jordan River. And on that day, God spoke from the heavens. The voice of God said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In just days before Jesus' execution, he took his disciples to the top of a mountain in a moment called the Transfiguration, when out of the sky, they heard the voice again with the exact same words. God said, this is my son. He's naming him. He's marking him, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus had a different voice in his ear and his heart when he walked the Via Dolorosa, the loving voice of his father. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew what he was supposed to be doing. And the greatest triumph came in his greatest suffering. Today, you have to dig really deep in Wikipedia to learn about Pompey. He's a footnote on a footnote. How many of you came here today to hear about Pompey? You understand what I'm saying? Jesus' triumph is proclaimed in every great city around the world today and pushed to the farthest villages in faraway nations all over the world. All over, literally the whole world knows of the one who wore the crown of thorns and was pierced for our sins so we could live. I don't know if some of you have seen a change in me in the last year. I have felt one. It is most easily stated the change that I have had in the last year is I am a man who realized he was mortal. I had a health event that in many ways shook me and in a lot of ways has made me stronger. I hope that's a part of the testimony of the last year. I had a seizure and I was carried out of my living room on a stretcher into an ambulance. down my driveway. Everything about it felt really odd. And believe me that I heard this whisper saying, remember, you are just a man. Some of you knew me before that and known up to that point, I was a dude who probably felt like he could do just about anything. You know, I was kind of one of those guys that had that look in my eye, you know, that's not a bad outlook for your twenties and thirties to think you can do just about anything. But at 41, I heard the whisper, memento mori. And what came next for me was a season that I had never encountered, where before I thought I could do just about anything, suddenly I couldn't do so much at all. The church leaders came to my house and told me I had to stay home, (laughs) and I'm grateful for that. And I didn't preach or teach or write or even could even read for some time. And when all that was pulled away, I began to hear a different voice. And it was a voice that said this, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. When all the things that I thought made me valuable were taken away, God was saying, man, I love you. I'm pleased with you. And I would say to God, but I can't do anything. (laughs) And that's when I began to realize that the sonship the daughterhood, the belonging to our God, the love, is not about what we do, but it's about who God is and what Jesus has done. Amen. When everything is stripped away, and that's where some of you are today, when everything is stripped away and you're walking through suffering, you are walking the Via Della Rosa, the baptized one hears this, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, I'm pleased. With you. I knew that because I had taken a walk myself, the walk of baptism. I was baptized as an infant in a little white dress in a small Methodist church in 1980. My 27 year old parents, who had just recently returned to the church, held their baby boy and said, We can't do this on our own. And when you see a baby, you think, This baby can't do anything on his own. And yet in that moment, God said, he is mine. Some years later, when I was 12 years old, I had another uh, or a first illness and a hospital stay as a sixth grader. I was going to be sent home for the summer on an IV. And then one morning in the hospital, I woke up and I was healed. And the next weekend at church, I went forward. And my pastor put his hands on my head, and I profess my faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why my future is heaven no matter what. I'm forgiven of all my sins. I'm 42 years old, and it still feels like the greatest joy in my heart to say it out loud. I met with a little girl named Everly this week. She's 10 years old. She's a fifth grader at Rutland Elementary right next door. And she was coming because she uh, wanted to say yes to Jesus. And we looked at the story of Jesus' baptism. Ever since Pastor Mark taught me uh, with children, when I meet with them, I open up a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible that just has these beautiful pictures. And then I showed her this picture and we read the story of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. And I said, Everly, what do you think is, uh, what do you think's going on? Or I said, do you know what's going on here? And she said, 110%, I know what's going on. (laughs) I was like, would you tell me? And she said, this was a moment that Jesus was seen in a different light. I wrote it down. She said, this was the moment that Jesus was seen in a different light. Hey, Everly, I didn't see you. And I said, well, what do you think about the dove? And she said, the dove is God coming down, remember? And you said, saying, this is my son. This is my son. This is my son. And Everly told me of her belief in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You see what I'm saying? A little girl in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, giving her life to the one who walked the Via Della Rosa 2,000 years ago. Nobody's talking about Pompeii. And we came in here. What we do, we come and we see the tubs in the back. We do the baptisms. And I come in and I say, See this light? I see this light's put up there for one reason. We only had one reason we put that light up there, and it shines right down on our baptism tub. And it all came together for me, Everly, like that. What you were saying about Jesus being seen in a different light, that's what happens here when people are baptism. That's when our life can change and we can be seen in a different light. And so we said a prayer uh, with Everly in a little circle with her family. And I heard God saying uh, to her, To you, Everly, this is my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. If you are in a tough spot today, like if you feel the ache that this world puts upon us, some of you I know, you're like, this is my hardest year yet. I get it. I got one of those too. The Via Della Rosa is the road to the via Triumphalis for us because of Jesus. He's our king. We worship the one who had the crown of thorns. We worship the one that the world was making fun of and they still don't understand today. And we say, we don't care. He's our king. We follow him. We celebrate him. Sorrow, suffering, struggle is the way to triumph. Let's watch another one of these. And then I knelt before them. And I can remember the, the weight of the pastor's hands on my head and my parents' hands on my shoulders as he prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and fill my life, confirm in me this decision. And I took on a new identity that day, 1993. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I'm I'm a follower of Him. He's my Lord. I want to live in obedience to Him. I want to offer you this invitation this morning. Um, If you know that today is a day you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time, or this is a moment of recommitment that God has been preparing for you, then let today be the day. Let, Let today be the day. Um, As we come forward for communion, Pastor Mark, I'll be over here and Pastor Mark will be over there. And we'd love to meet with you. Just take your name and help prepare you for Thursday night for a moment that could be life transforming for you, for your family, you know, for for our community. Um, so we'll be having communion. There's gonna there's a lot of people in the room today. We'll be coming up, and you might think, man, it's gonna be hard to get over that that corner. Well, just make your way. Just do it. You know, find your way. Elbow somebody. You know, get get there. You know, like I said, it's like we do all this stuff, but but get there. So I just want to encourage you if you kind of have known. Uh, for the last little bit, or maybe just this morning, you're like, that's me, I need to do that. Um, then during communion, as we're all making a very intentional walk, just go a little bit further to the corners and we'll, we'll talk with you and pray with you and get you, get you ready for that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this year in the book of John for teaching us the gospel, the good news. We want to be a church that's centered on the gospel centered on Jesus, centered on his actions, his sacrifice, his resurrection. So as we've talked about this in an individual way, God, let it also be for us as a church, one of those grounding moments to say, this is our story. This is who we are. I pray for those who uh, this week need to be baptized and make a recommitment that they would come with courage this morning um, and sign up. And, And so I just pray for your spirit to be working in hearts now. For many of us that come to communion, we pray over this bread and juice that it would be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we could be for the world, Jesus, body. Bless this moment, God. Sanctify it with your spirit. Amen.